0: You are listening to something rather than nothing. Creator and host Ken Vellante, editor and producer Peter Bauer.
1: (laughs) All right. This is Ken Vellante with the something rather than nothing podcast. And we have uh, author R.W.W. Green, Rob, welcome to the something rather than nothing podcast.
0: Hey, thanks for having me, Ken. Good, uh, good to see you.
1: Yeah, it's 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 really nice to reach you, uh, reaching you from the uh, coast of uh, Oregon over to uh, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, I think it was more properly pronounced by me. Yep, um, crazy. So, I think. great, great, great to connect with you. I uh, just wanna kick it off and mention I've. Uh, Read uh, *Mercury Rising* and um, just, uh, just. I want to tell you. I, I want you to t- tell listeners about about the uh, book a bit. You know, um, because. Uh, but first, I wanted to mention just for myself. I was. Um, what I love so much about it when first listening to it is because I was really trying to situate myself and you know what era it was and with an alt history and uh, a, a marvelous drop into thinking about speculative history and in in politics uh in the 70s um i i found it so fun and connected to my kind of like dna of uh sci-fi that i've uh, read heavily in the seventies and eighties, so it was a nice drop in, but like a really fresh, um, just like where am I for quite some time. Um, really, really deeply enjoyed the novel and its unique uh, characteristics and where it takes you. But where, 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 where did it come from, uh, Rob? And uh, tell us a bit about *Mercury Rising*. Uh,
0: the book kind of had its its start. Right after the, uh, the the NASA space shuttle program got canceled, um, I was kind of irritated by that. So I, I wrote a short story called Gus Grissom and the Mercury Men, where I gave the uh, the Apollo 1 astronauts, uh, Grissom, Chaffee, and White, they all died on the launch pad. Uh, I gave them a, 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 a more dramatic ending. And that was basically the first chapter of Mercury rising, that whole space battle that happened. Originally, that was Gus Grissom and Chaffee and, and White, um, you know, fighting us with the with their friends, the the communists, Yurgagarian, and all those guys. Um, so that's kind of where it started, and I just kind of like the idea of the kind of the the retro future Buck Rogers nineteen you know nineteen sixties kind of thing. Um, and then I started thinking about like you know using 8-tracks as computer storage and, um, you know, disco, and uh, just decided that I wanted to keep going in that world, and so I wrote a, uh, uh, an alt history uh, where um, Robert Oppenheimer came up with an atomic space engine uh, right after he came up with a bomb. Uh, we were able to get to the moon in the 19, in 1950 and, you know, get to Mars not too far after that, And uh, and then the aliens showed up. Um, So that was kind of the basic idea of the book. When I first came up with the kind of the idea for the series, I had an idea of five books, you know, one for every decade between uh, 1970 and current day 2020, where I was going to try to explore the, the tropes of the of the science fiction popular at the time. You know, so each book would have kind of a different kind of thing, like the 1980s would be very cyberpunk and that kind of thing. Um, my, my agent uh, kind of talked me down to three books. And then um, because of uh, sales and that kind of stuff, the three books turned into two. So the next book in the series, Earth Retrograde, uh, the final book in the series, Earth Retrograde, is coming out in October of this year.
1: Yeah, I saw the um, I saw that uh, October twenty fourth, and uh, yep. I uh, I was I was excited to see that, and I I, I also think um, sometimes I like to follow series. There's something about that nice fall release. I don't know October November that I that I so uh, I noticed that, and um, really really excited to hear about that, and um, the uh, tantalizing idea that you put forth of you know. You know, digging deep into the tropes of the time, but yep. I, I just found—I um, don't know—the word uh, play, playfulness with it, where it was so um, it was fun. It was mm-hmm. it was fun to be in the book. It was fun to have dialogue and 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 to be in that kind of wild world. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody, yeah, Earth retrograde, October twenty fourth, twenty twenty three. Right now, you can. Um, listen or read to, our um, Mercury rising, um, a, a real blast. So, um, you've done different things, uh, Rob, I had read about, um, the high school, uh, uh, teacher, you've done freelance, you've done, uh, print journalism. And, um, so one of the things I ask is when did you see yourself as, as an artist,
0: that's an interesting question. I I'm not, I'm not sure if I, if I would see myself as an artist even now. I think I think I'm a pretty good writer, but I think I'm a, a craftsman rather than an artist. You know I like you know I, I kind of see myself as someone who can build a pretty good chair, you know and, and the chair holds you and is comfortable. And you know as a, as a craft, I guess the craft sometimes can transcend to art. You know, maybe I'll make a super-duper beautiful museum-caliber chair at some point in time. But I think for the most part, I, I make good, comfortable chairs. Um, I was thinking about this question. I, I also teach college on the side. Um, and I was having a conversation with one of my students because we decided to do uh, a deep dive into Pink Floyd's The Wall. This semester, I I get to pick the theme. So we were talking about, you know, what makes art? You know, is art art something that has to provoke? Is art something that, you know, comes from inspiration? And, you know, if so, if it's inspiration or intent to provoke, then, you know, what comes next is you have to have the skills to pull it off, right? So everybody has, you know, I've got this idea for a book or I've got this idea for a thing. But if they don't have the skills to pull it off, it never quite makes it you know, never quite makes it out. But, you know, then again, if you've got the skills, but you don't have the idea, you know, what does that make you? Does that make you artless? You know, so, you know, I, you know, so I have this conversation with myself and my students fairly often It's like, you know, so, you know, what is the difference between art and craft? And, you know, there's a well-crafted sentence and a well-crafted sentence can become art in the right light i guess with the right response and you know there's also the idea is that once you create something you know it's kind of like a a bowling ball you send it off down the the lane and you've got no control over what happens to <laughs> it no matter how many body movements you make you know you try to get it out of the gutter or whatever <laughs> so you know who's to say that as it kind of goes down the lane that it's not perceived as art but you know maybe it was just intended as a story you know so yeah
1: well, now, I mean, you really helped me so much. There's something about the body movements of the that ball that you'll never control, that you know for sure where it's going, but it doesn't go exactly there. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, no, I was thinking too, when you mentioned, you know, working with the student on, on the wall and Pink Floyd's the wall, and that always had great resonance on the themes of art, right? Of censorship or uh, like what education systems do. And, um, you know, the transgressive, a part of the artist, you know, and calling out things about, uh, society. So, um, mm-hmm. def- definitely, definitely vibe with that really well. So what I wanted to ask, uh, Rob, uh, on that, you know, talking art and, and, and craft, um, you know, you're a writer and I would look at your, uh, Mercury rising as, um, uh, as, uh, a, a, a difficult achievement that that you reached of of embodying a, a very uh, a different time as far as maybe like tone and feel um, and and doing that fresh like as as a what I would view as a piece of art. But uh, going back into it with arts and craft, Rob, what's art? What do you think art is?
0: That's uh, you know, it's it's kind of like. When they were when they were debating obscenity in in Congress, you know, it's like they didn't know what obscenity was, but they knew it when it got them hard. Um, I think art may be the same kind of thing. You know, you don't know what art is, but when you see it, and it stops you, and it makes you think, and it arrests you. Uh, I think, or in, in, not in a criminal term, but you just see it and it's an arresting image, an arresting story, an arresting piece of music. I think it's it's there's a way back in my high school teaching days we we always talked about poetry and i was always trying to get the the kids to kind of define poetry and there was a a quote we used to look at was that poetry is man's attempt to explore his own amazement you know so it's like there's this moment of like i'm trying to capture this this amazement this feeling i have and make it into a common experience you know so i'm trying to take this this thing, and, and I'm trying to make this, use this kind of metaphor, this data compression on this piece of paper or in this image or with this song that's going to bring out the same emotions in you as they brought out in me. And I think if that can happen, then that is art. If, if, I, if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm causing you to have a reaction, the same kind of reaction, emotional reaction that I had that inspired the piece, I think that's art. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah, sure does. I like the part, too. It comes up once in a while when I talk with folks of, like, the know it when you see it, and I, and uh, the part about amazement really captured me with what you said, right? Because that uh, maybe it's amazement or awe, or I don't understand it all, but... Mm-hmm. Oof,
0: amazement what a, doesn't what have piece. to mean it's good. Amazement just means, it could be just that WTF moment. It's like, you know, you know, what the hell is going on here? You know, that's, uh, amazement is, is not necessarily a good thing. It's just, a. I uh, I like your awe because you're also can be struck, struck with awe. And it's not always a great thing to be struck with awe. You know, the, the bombing of Baghdad, you know, all those, all those lights and stuff like that, the shock and awe kind of thing. It wasn't a great right. thing that they were trying to awe people. They were just trying to cause them to cower, uh, in, in, in fear at the, at the power of the experience, I guess.
1: Yeah, there's that, that nuance. I know um I know of like some of the root of the word adore con- contains elements of fear, not only of adoration towards, but there's a power dynamic as well, which I, I think it's 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 really uh interesting to look at words like that. And I've done a lot of poetry recently on the show, and um I feel about poetry that way. It's like I always stumble when I try to explain it, but it's like how do people capture the true depth of a of, of, of an emotion or a feeling in in this crystallized form somehow, like just sure. looking at it? How did they get all that there and um, I really enjoy that that part of it? Um, for you, uh, Rob, um, just asking about the role of the role of art itself, um, you know, I think, looking at science fiction and looking at things of, uh, temperature and, and climate and your books, you know, mercury rising earth, uh, you know, earth retrograde. Um, just, just, just wondering about, um, the, the, the science and the dealing with the times in the, the role of art, do you see what you're doing here is, um, having a particular uh intent um what is the role of art
0: in science fiction in particularly or because um, science fiction has its own kind of thing where it's supposed to be trying to you know show us where we're going and say you know look this is how it might turn out and maybe we should do something different you know uh yeah. one of my favorite movies is uh in the green with uh charlton heston you know Um sure 1970 you know um you know talking about climate change and talking about overpopulation and you know of course it brings it to the to the zenith of you know soil and green is you know spoilers soil and green is people um <laughs> you know but it it is that kind of thing that's it's trying to time to sound the the Jeremiah and say look this is where we're going and maybe we shouldn't go there and i think science fiction in particular um that's one of his purposes is to like look ahead and, and and kind of like you know maybe think about this you know sure we can create an ai but should we create an ai uh you know maybe we can create you know uh colonies on mars but eh, is that a good idea so that's where the science resource, question.
1: Of... Yeah, like yeah. resource question yeah like the resource question
0: yeah that's where the science fiction kind of comes into it um you know, but every every piece of writing, every story is, I don't know. It's, it's it, humans are very interesting in that we we love story. We always create story. You know, we, you know, if we get we, if we don't get a text message quick enough from our spouse, you know, we send her a message, and we don't get a message quick enough. We we rush to the idea of that something terrible has happened. We fill in the blanks. We she didn't respond, which means that there was a car accident or something happened. You know, so we try to fill in and answer those questions with story. And you know, so the so the the storyteller, kind of the the filmer, filmmaker, writer, whatever, is kind of like filling in that that gap, that need for story, with something that maybe doesn't have a message. I mean, they, every story has a message, and every story, is in its own way, is political. But you know, they're they're trying to like fill in that need for story with something that uh, amazes you know that oz i guess that uh, entertains while still you know giving some kind of like direction and, and letting you know what the author thinks about there's a there's a book i could i teach writing and there's a book called everything's an argument and the idea being that kind of every every statement you make every everything you write is some kind of argument you know if i if I write the sky is blue, I'm trying to convince you that the sky is blue. You know, if I'm writing you a book called Mercury Rising, I'm, I'm trying to convince you that, you know, you should read this book and that the characters are interesting and that the world is interesting. And every sentence I put in that book is trying to convince you, the reader of that. Um, you know, so, you know, so I, so anybody who says that, you know, science fiction is not political, science fiction is not this you know, they're totally in, in wrong. You know, the, the very fact that, you know, in star Trek, the phasers stuff a stun setting tells you so much about the world of star Trek and that, you know, they, they start, they start with trying to stun you first. And if that doesn't work, then they'll go up. But, you know, they're, they're talking about the importance of life, you know, with that stun setting. Um, and it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about it, which I do. Yeah. Too much.
1: No, no. Thank you for mentioning that. I, 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 I... I I hadn't really placed that, that idea uh, within the context of, yeah, that, well, thank you. Um, uh, just thinking about, you know, the first step of not destroying, right. Of trying to preserve uh, on, on, on some basic level. Um, what about the world of uh, with what you'd like to say about uh, earth retrograde? So it's you talking about the ideas that you had in your head about um, where the, book uh the the place it inhabits uh what about earth retrograde Uh, just in general where does that find the where will that find the reader uh what kind of place
0: well one of the one of the reasons i I wrote this kind of series and started in the 70s i feel like the 70s and i'm a child of the 70s you know but i feel like the 70s is a time where we started to get things right You know, we had, you know, the environmental movement, we had the truth and justice movement, we had a lot of civil rights stuff going on, we had a lot of gay rights stuff going on. So, you know, granted we had Nixon, but we also had a lot of like good stuff, like good social social justice stuff happening. And then the 80s happened and Reagan happened and all that kind of stuff. But even Nixon had a uh, universal income program, you know, Nixon had a... Uh, had a universal health care program that he was, OSHA. Going to, yeah, that OSHA, he was OSHA, yeah, or, you know, all that stuff was happening uh, that uh, was shut down by the conservatives in Congress at that time because it, they thought it was too communist. You know, so the seventies were a time where I thought we we, we really kind of started to get it right, um, and by you know eliminating things in in the book in the book world, like you know Vietnam didn't happen because the Cold War didn't happen because. We and the russians were friends because we and the russians to get together to defend the earth right um which is strangely enough another reagan idea because reagan asked gorbachev at one point in time during a, a meeting they had like you know mr gorbachev if you know if if we were invaded would you come to our rescue and they had that conversation about like you know if an alien actually came to earth would the russians come and help us out and we would help the russians out which was an a conversation that reagan had um so, you know, the idea and then Mercury Rising ta- our Earth Retrograde takes place in the late 90s, you know, which was up to, you know, that's when the kind of the story comes to an end. And, you know, Y2K is going on and, you know, all the things. But it's a it's a 90s that was changed by having the aliens come. So it's not the 90s we knew. It's not your Clinton 90s. It's, you know, a 90s where, you know we've been kicked off the planet you know it's because the original owners of the planet have come back and said you know guys it's time for you to leave you've got this other place to go um so it's not the 90s you know of but hopefully it'll it'll at least rhyme a little bit with the 90s that we remember
1: Um, yeah so well that's such a um really excited to hear, hear about that. And, um, you know, we're recording here in April going into May and, uh, no, really excited to, um, pick up that, pick up that story. I think, um, uh, hearing about your, you know, your approach. And, um, I think, uh, actually it was really refreshing to hear components of your, uh, analysis of the seventies, just like generally, uh, politically, you know, I was born in 72. So I have this kind of like, ghostly carryover from what I know about my young parents, you know, Mm in the seventies into the eighties. But, you know, I've even written and I talked to my kids about like just how messed up it was. Like when I grew up in the eighties, like I always thought like the world was going to blow up like a nuclear, like Holocaust. And I'm like, you kind of like giggle or (laughs) be horrified by that or whatever your reaction was. But I just remember thinking about that one day. I'm like, man, that's kind of wrong to hoist upon like a culture and a society, like this kind of constant, uh well, you know, we're threat, doing it now. threat of you annihilation. Know, the,
0: you know, the kids all are completely aware that the, the climate is, is screwed, right? And they know it's yep. screwed, you know? Yep. And I think that's why we see so many kids who are anxious and depressed and all this kind of stuff now. Um, You know, we the pandemic was you know, the pandemic was an apocalypse in its own way. You know, apocalypse is really something, it's not something that ends everything. It's just something after which nothing is ever the same. You know, so I think that whole pandemic thing was kind of a a bellwether to what, you know, our children and our grandchildren are going to face, you know, down the pike. And I think the kids are very aware of that. Um, And I had a a student in in college classes this semester who is literally very angry every day, um that we you know his forebears their earlier generations have made things so impossible for the the Gen Z and the Gen Y and the Gen after that um and i can't really blame them you know um you know they're, they're the first couple of generations that are are not going to do as well as their parents did you know they can't afford a house they can't afford any of this kind of thing um you know, so while we were, you know, you and I, because I was born in 71, so I had the same kind of experience with, you know, the Reagan era, and like, we were going to get blown up at any point in time, and, you know, yeah. we've outlawed the Soviet Union, we begin bombing in five minutes, you know, we, we've got all that stuff in yeah. our heads, the, the Iran-Contra, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, you know, so even while we had that, you know, at least in the 90s, we had that, like, moment of, like, we could breathe for a little while before it got crazy again. You know, I don't know that the kids today, the younger generation are going to have that, you know, so, um you know, I don't know. Well, I think uh, and what I see,
1: too, is one of the things like even on like the labor question, because I work in the labor movement and uh, this is them by far the most pro union gender. They don't accept a lot of the bullshit that that um, maybe I don't know, we or others have accepted about it. They're like, no, work shouldn't. Be like that, like I yeah. reject that idea. Like I don't want to live like that. And it's like, kind of like for me, I'm like, yeah, damn, <laughs> like, like there's, it, there's a difference. There's a difference. Yeah. And one of the things I think uh, I talk about too is it, it. There's a, there's a lazy use of like the power of being older, of having like false and ignorant kind of assumptions about things. And I find that even with labor where. You know, sometimes veterans will be like, "Oh, they don't know anything about labor. They don't know." Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. They do. Yeah. You can statistically show that they're 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 saying no to stuff that other people put up with, and they're saying in in more pro union, more. I'm not yep. saying it's a it's it's all wonderful, and but I'm saying the organizing climate for a group in an age of workers who just reject the nonsense that. We in some way have accepted is uh, very good for resistance, or at least the labor movement, or or the environmental movement, of saying nah, all that stuff's bullshit, or a bunch of that is. We got to do it different. So I find it inspiring, you know.
0: I agree. I agree. I mean, it's I'm I'm a union guy myself. You know, teachers union and blue collar union, depending on what job I've had. Um, and it is nice to see that. I mean, the pandemic taught us a lot about you know what's important. You know, is it important to you know, to, to value yourself. Is it important to, you know, take care of what you need? Is it important to be creative? And, you know, the, the, I think the kids have said in a, uh, a resounding, yes, it is important to do this stuff. And, you know, and if they can figure out a way to do it in a forty day a week, awesome. You know, if they can figure out a way to do it, you know, working from home, fantastic. You know, I think, um, I th- I think the kids are all right. You know that's that's yeah. kind of my where I where I'm from is the kids the kids are, you know uh, you know you and I are, are are Gen X and that kind of weird little generation of ours. But I think the you know I wish that these kids today had the world that we had back in you know when they could have still made a kind of a climate change turnaround kind of thing. Um, yeah. I wish we had been but we didn't have the internet and we didn't have all this kind of stuff i wish we had been as savvy as they are uh, but we were not you know
1: yeah well i think it's a great i think it's a great discussion and you know i think in in uh you know it's it, it in in looking at um you know at, at your works and you know thinking about alt history i've had um um some some other science fiction authors like uh bl blanchard and sasha uh, stronach and um just like i find it so invigorating to take a look at really kind of jagged deep problems and just play with like where where you place them and can interact with them because i find it it's spurring to the mind like science fiction has always been spurring, spurring to my speculative mind and aim towards problem solving or just fun as well. But you can solve problems in a fun way too. So um, really, really dig on that. I'm going to jump, I'm going to jump to, uh, another, uh, big question, uh, Rob. Um, and it's the, the title of the show. And I wanted to just have you take a crack at it right now, talking about, uh, why is there something rather than nothing? And I would just say that folks have um, had a go at this one from science, philosophy or absurdism or whatever angle you want to take at it.
0: I was thinking about that. Cause I've, like I said, I've listened to a couple of your shows, three or four or five, maybe six of your shows in kind of preparation for that, you know, and it's why is there something rather than nothing? Um, and I, the, what, kind of the you know, there's the the obvious kind of like you know, nature abhors a vacuum, and every time there's a space that you know, it, it gets filled by something, you know. Um, so, but then again, if you if you don't have nature abhoring the vacuum, then that's nothing. In which case, why is there nature? Um, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a secular humanist. You know, I'm an atheist. I don't I don't believe in you know God and that kind of thing. And you know, you look back at the the physics of the Big Bang and, you know, the, the whole idea is that, you know, everything was compressed to the point of a singularity until it exploded. Um, you know, the, the pressure of that. Um, and then you think about what I was saying earlier about how the human mind needs story. So it comes up with these. You know, these terrible scenarios and the absence of information, you know, uh, I haven't heard from my son all day. He must have broken his leg and been hit by a car and, you know, he must be in the hospital in a coma and things like that. You know, we're creating that story that doesn't exist. Um, You know, and it may be that if there is is a central truth to the universe, maybe it's that it's creation and I don't mean creation with a, with a capital C, a directed creation. I think that, you know, we, we tend to go from a, from a point of potential to actuality every single time, you know, there, if there is the potential, then it becomes the actual, Um, it's, it's always kind of like, you know, the force, the, the, the energy is always running downhill, You know, and then it pools and then once it gets to a point where it's it reaches capacity, it runs downhill again. Um, And I think that's probably why there's always something rather than nothing, because, you know, it it may start small. But once it, 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 it achieves a point where, you know, potential energy cannot be held by whatever is holding it back, then it becomes something. Um, you know, that's kind of my thought on the, you know, because it's, it's a very interesting question. It's a, you know, you know, why is there, you know, why are you, why are you making a podcast? You know, you could have not made a podcast, but you chose to make a podcast because you wanted to put an idea out into the world, you know, either because you're looking for an answer or because you want to generate the conversation, you know. So, you know, you chose to make something, rather than leave it as nothing. Um, you know, it's just like thing, you know, some of it's about, you know, wanting to leave a mark on the world. And some of it I think is just, you know, that's just what we are. You know, why, you know, why do we make TV shows? Why do we, you know, we go out to our backyard and, and build a patio where there's just grass, you know, why? Because we, we have the, the capacity to, um, i don't know maybe that that's, my, no, I that's really, my answer
1: no i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed so much of that and i think you know in one of the pieces was um you know thinking about actuality and potentiality you know, it's like a lot of ways we t- to look at things or talk about things philosophically like mm-hmm. being and becoming and yeah there's this uh creative drive um you know behind it all and uh I, I when you were describing kind of like the how things kind of like compile and composite and reach a point where they need to surge forth mm-hmm. you know I, I i really connect with that because i just did a recent episode with somebody who's a botanist right and and just like it's it's this <laughs> that seed's gonna pop out that sun's gonna hit at that point and 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 there's something simple i think in uh in, in powerful, um, connected to that. I want to ask you, Rob, uh, just a bit. Um, I've, uh, I've, I've taught at the university level for a, a short time, quite, quite some time ago. And, uh, one of the things I get interested in is, uh, creators like yourself, thinkers like yourself, um, teaching in, in, in connecting with, uh, creativity and, in, in, in art. Um, what, what's that experience like like for you and trying to help uh creators and thinkers um develop.
0: Well one of the one of the interesting things about college education now is that it's become very, very transactional. You know, where once upon a time, you know, you went to college in order to get well rounded, to kind of become enlightened, to get smart, you know, to like, you know, you get to liberal arts education and things like that. And now you're not seeing that as much like the college that I teach at, you know, the the biggest or most popular major is business, you know, because they want to get the degree in order to get the job. You know, so if they could just I think I, I think if they just could just pay for the for the diploma. They wouldn't have bothered with the whole college experience. Most of the kids, like if they could, like fork out a hundred thousand dollars and get the diploma, and you know, just 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 go from there. I think they'd be they fine. Have with it. They have
1: yeah, their, receipt. their receipt. Yeah, they've got the
0: receipt. So it's a very transactional kind of thing. So you know, I teach uh, college comp, college composition, where I teach them how to write, you know, in various forms, different kinds of essays, and I teach sophomore seminar. Which is a research-based class where I pick the theme, um, and that's one of the reasons why I picked uh, the Wall this time, Pink Floyd's The Wall, because you know you look at music in terms of like the way m- music has evolved from you know the the chamber music to the madrigals to the you know, finally they're getting uh, the Victrola that they could wind up and like actual have music in the home and really democratize music and everybody could have music. Yeah. To but you only had like one song on that on that record, you know. And then you know the LP, which allowed you know more music and. You know, then, you know, one of the first things they started doing when they had the long play record is they started to put a musical theater on it. So musical theater came to the home and everybody could listen to Hello, Dolly or whatever it is. So you didn't have to go to Broadway anymore to do it, which democratized it more. And then, you know, uh, the concept album kind of came in where... You know, like people like Rosemary Clooney uh, were doing, like I'm going to do a record of love songs, and you know that was the first time you could have like a whole theme album of love songs or Christmas songs or whatever. And then yeah. you've got you know uh, the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper and the theme-based concept album. Then you've got like the the narrative kind of album, like uh, The Wall or Tommy or things like that. And then you've got from there, you've got the cd and the cd was able to do 15 songs on it so you got even more songs but and then you've got nowadays you've got the streaming where and i i've done polls on this with my students it's very rare that they buy the whole album anymore because they just stream the one song they like so if you can imagine like listening to the wall nowadays You'd only hear three songs, right? right? You'd only hear, you know, um, Wish You Were Here, Comfortably Numb, and um, Brick in the Wall, right? You'd only hear those three songs. You wouldn't hear the entire thing. So we talked a lot about that. And, you know, we started listening to, like, some of the music, like, um, Lord's Pure Heroin is a concept album but they had never listened to any song behind, but they hadn't heard any song other than Royals. So when they actually listened to the entire album, they realized how self-referential it is and how it talks to, you know, everything talks to itself. And, you know, we, we looked at um, Frank, Frank Ocean stuff. And we looked at, um, you know, uh, my chemical romance, my beautiful dark, you know, all those kind of things. So we yeah. so we listened to a lot of records and I think one of the things we I was able to do is make them aware that, you know, these things are these albums are put together in a way to make that you want to listen to the entire thing. Except maybe not so much anymore because they you know, musicians are realizing that everybody is spotifying everything. So we did the research and found out that, you know, like lyrical complexity is is just as complex as it ever has been but the but the lyrical complexity of popular songs has gone down because the popular songs are the ones we can hear in you know five seconds and and jam to them so like anything that becomes popular now is generally you know is more musically simple uh has a more simple theme and it just kind of catches our catches our ear um we also talked about because Beyonce's Lemonade, um, which is a came out uh, a couple of years ago, and she made you listen to the entire album by putting a film out. So she put the film out with the musical background. So in order, yeah, to, and she damn, released yeah, it first, right? So you yeah. had to listen to the entire thing because uh-huh. she's Beyonce and she can force you to do stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, so just you know, we, we that was the inter- one of the interesting things about talking about like how music has changed and. You know, you've got a, a couple of the kids who are like they're going back to vinyl and they actually have like listening parties and that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, most of them are like, you know, they they it's just, you know, they they listen to the one song or they have the, They have the, you know, the the algorithm refer them songs like the song they listen to, which maybe helps them discover new music. But it doesn't help them get the entire picture of the of the record.
1: Well, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 such a, a different thing, I think, uh, in thinking about listening. But I tell you, I talked about this once. I had this really cool listening experience because uh, my child, uh, Aiden, is very much into a, a wide array of music. But one uh, particular kind of time frame was maybe like you know, popular metal, like aspects of new metal and post metal and stuff. And just stuff I hadn't like, I maybe heard in, in the background, but I was just listening. My listening habits were so different that mm-hmm. there was a kind of a space of music where I would have expected to encounter it. Never really did, but then was able to rediscover it with, uh, with them and, mm-hmm. and listen to it. And it's, it was strange to be like, Going back 20 years in learning through my child, who's listening to the albums, really into each release, and I was like, "It's kind of a unique experience to be taught in that type of way." And I knew it at the time as well.
0: Yeah, I got a buddy of mine. He's he's 80, and he was a high school teacher most of his life. And he says, "You know, you know, it's time to stop being a teacher when you don't recognize the kids' music anymore. You know, because yeah. you're not, you know, you're not sure, with it. You know, you're thumb. not, you know, you're not in there with them." Um, and I think it's kind of, I mean, I love, I love music. I'm a, I'm a music person. I I listen to all kinds of music, you know? Um, I, I I am actually a fan of Taylor Swift, you know, as well. I'm ai
1: am a huge, this show is a huge Swifty, uh, huge Swifty show. We had the, um, the, uh, animation director for Miss Americana, Elise Kelly on.
0: That's cool. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I I had this conversation with my my you know a couple students and you know we we have this idea that she is the new Springsteen, you know she is the kind of the uh, the new boss of the of the of like the current that. set and you know because she can do anything you know and you know yeah. she may not be the best singer but lyrically she's fantastic she re- reinvents herself um, you know she. And as a, another another young person I was talking to says, you know, if if you don't like Taylor Swift, it's because you, she hasn't made your album yet. You know, she will make your album, the album that makes you fall for her eventually. But maybe she just hasn't made it yet. Um, you know, tantalizing
1: you know, idea. It's a tantalizing idea.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I, you know, I used to have a kid in, when I was teaching high school, uh, used to come visit me every morning and we talk about, you know, he got me into Kendrick Lamar and I really got into Kendrick Lamar and I really, he really started getting me into that kind of like lyric dense rap, you know, that same kind of way. Uh, I'm still not a big EDM fan, no matter what the the kids say, uh, the students say, but, you know, they've, you know, they've certainly opened my eyes to, to new art. Uh, there was a, a a young dude in one of my college classes who introduced me to Taco Core, and Taco Core. I don't know if you've heard about this, but Taco
1: I haven't. Corps, but tell 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 me.
0: Yeah, Taco Core was a was a book that was written um, right after kind of in, in the early aughts, um, after after nine eleven started, all the anti Muslim furor started going on, and this guy wrote a book about this young Muslim man who moved into a house in which there was a um, uh, Islamic punk band. Uh, and so they were like playing punk music and drinking and having sex and all that kind of stuff, which is all very haram. Uh, and his, you know, his mother was comfortable with them moving there because, you know, they had a, they had a prayer flag up and this kind of stuff. Um, but you know, he, in as a result of this, this book, there was an entire brief Muslim Islam punk movement called Taco Core that happened with all these different bands and you know it was, it was this really big thing and and then now there's a schism between you know what is Taco Core and what is not Taco Corps. but the whole idea of this like this you know is is the Islamic punk you know uh, you know raging against the same thing that you know other punks were raging against you know uh, but also raging against the racism of america in post nine yeah. eleven america um yeah. which is something I had, I had never heard of this you know and so i you know of course i got the book and read the book and i've been listening to the music and this kind of stuff i can't understand a lot of it because i my i have no arabic um or any of the other languages they're singing in but um you know, the, you can definitely feel the rage in the music, you know, the energy in the music. And, you know, you've got people in the audience who are wearing hijab. you got people in the audience who are, you know, they're, so they're punk, but they, you know, some of them don't yeah. drink because it's Haram, you know, uh, but some of them do. Um, and it's just, you know, that, that really interesting youth movement um, that I learned a lot about from, from this particular student. And I've gone on a deep dive on that sense. Pretty cool yeah
1: i think uh i might be near one on my own that's how it happens you know, part of the infectious aspect yeah.
0: <laughs> of the yeah. it's cool. of, of, of the T-A-Q. ideas yeah t-a-q-w-a taco core c-o-r-e
1: yeah thanks so much i um i earlier a uh, long time ago i was really influenced i was really lucky to come in contact with a lot of of Washington, Washington DC uh, punk history through a, a, a very good friend of mine, Sean Brown, who was in the bands uh, Swizz and Dag Nasty, and just learning, um, just, just, just that power of punk. Like it's not my like top style of music, but it always serves and always is something I drop into more and more, and 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 just. And just does it for me like other things don't, and so that's why when you're talking about, I mean, I love I love those stories, and it's because it's like resistance against crap or re- resistance yeah. against stupidity or something <laughs> like. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. Yeah. I'm listening. You know.
0: Yeah. No. Totally. And it's not hey, my favorite. Um, I mean. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. No, I say it's not no. my favorite. You know, punk, punk is not my favorite either, but it's something that I return to quite often. You know, I listen to, you know, I listen to anything as long as it's good. But, you know, I may mean, I think if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to die tomorrow, I'll probably listen to a lot of Miles Davis, you know, but, you know, if, uh, you know, if I'm not going to die tomorrow, then I'll branch out a little bit, you know. Bit
1: <laughs> <that way. laughs> hey, uh, uh. Rob, I want uh, I want uh, folks um, to come into come in contact with your work. Uh, R.W.W. Green here, sci- sci-fi author. How, how folks uh, run into uh, your material, your your books, uh, your thoughts. Um, you have a man. There's a lot of <laughs> a lot to, a lot to share. And um, I'm certainly thinking like you know music, art, and all these things. But w- why don't you lead folks to uh, you know finding more of your work?
0: Sure, uh, I've got a website that's uh, rwwgreen.com. It's kind of like information central, uh, links to the books and this kind of thing. Uh, I'm on the on the the dying uh, social media site Twitter at rwwgreen. I uh, also Instagram at rwwgreen, uh, and I've got a, a Substack newsletter I put out uh, every couple of weeks uh, called 24, uh, 21st Century Blues. Uh, that I, you know, I write about, you know, anything from, you know, from, I don't know, school shootings to music to whatever kind of comes out of my head in those two weeks. Um, You know, the books are in Barnes & Noble. They're in your local bookstore. Uh, They're on um, bookshop.org. You know, uh, they're published by Angry Robot, which is a, a science fiction press in the uk uh so pretty much anywhere they speak english you can find them or order them so
1: uh, oh it's x ex- it's 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 really great to chat with you and hey uh rob what about um what about uh what about your, your you want to just drop a little bit about your own playing of uh music and your relationship with the guitar and stuff like that <laughs>
0: I'm a, I'm a shitty acoustic player. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a bad acoustic player, uh, but I play. And I, I don't play for anybody's enjoyment but my own and my cat's and sometimes my wife. Um, if I could have picked something to be artistically gifted in, it might have been music. But unfortunately, it didn't work out.
1: <laughs> it's uh well it's 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 great to um it's great to chat uh about art and 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 music and in you know power of music and poetry and in 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 your writing really appreciate that i tell you the substack format i'm gonna check out your stuff some more i've um uh, subscribed to uh shara nova who's been a guest uh on on the show and um uh, Hannah Walker Brown. And I've just come in contact with some really great Substack stack uh, of writing. Uh, so thanks for being there. I'm going to check that out. Everybody check out um, our WW Green uh, sub stack and um, really great pleasure talking with you and, and really um, just the, the stimulation about the ideas. I really just want to thank you for the work of art you created, uh, Mercury Rising, and it's I don't know, its own particular resonance for uh, a, a dude like me <laughs> reading it uh, out here in Oregon uh, in 2023. So um, great pleasure to meet uh, meet you, Rob. And, um, and really, thank you for coming on to something rather than nothing.
0: Yeah, same here. Really good conversation. Uh, you know, if I ever see you in real life, I'll buy you a beer, or a cup of coffee, whatever you want. We'll have a, another conversation.
1: Thanks so, thanks, thanks so much, brother. And uh, everybody, make sure you check out uh, our WW Green, uh, Mercury Rising, and in the fall of 2023, Earth Retrograde. Have a great day, Rob.
0: All right, you too, man. Take care. This is Something Rather Than Nothing.